Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Uh, it's Alec Hogg here coming to you from our studios in Johannesburg. We've got a packed show for you this evening. Uh, we'll be having our regular co-host, guest co-host on Mondays and Thursdays, David Shapiro, as uh, I can see him on screen. By the way, if you want to see what's happening in the sausage factory, in other words, or the, the sausage being made, you can go onto YouTube and uh, have a look at biznews.com or Business Radio channel on YouTube, and you'll be able to tune in there. And see exactly what uh, do I'm going to show you where there she is. There's the because <laughs> he's the duties of this YouTube generation. If put a camera in front of you, Dudu, Dudu who who looks after the engineering and yours truly, and then we've got the rest of the team who are in with us. We're going to be talking tonight to Magda Wizikcha. We'll also be finding out why Salim Karim's resignation is being celebrated by the people at Panda. That's from Nick Hudson. We will be hearing from Ray Dalio, unfortunately not in person, but uh, a clip of something that we should be looking into. And then two portfolios for you to consider if you are thinking of investing or are an investor. The one is Pitful Yun has given us a couple of really cheap stocks and uh, our team will be having a look at it. Charles has been charged with investigating Sabvest. Charles, have you got some uh, interesting information for us on that one later? Yes, definitely. I hope uh, that you noticed it was up 15% today in anticipation of you talking to us. And then Justin has been looking at Lewis Stores, which, uh, just you've done a piece already for Business on that. Exactly, Alec. Uh, looking forward to unpack Lewis. And, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the 60 minutes ahead. And the most eagerly expected or awaited interview today is with Magda Wizikcha, who today announced that she will be leaving her creation Signia, 250 billion rands worth of assets under management. Uh, um, Magda's on the line, so we're going to be talking to her after we kick off with the news of the day. Here's our editor at large, Jackie Cameron. The biggest union at South Africa's loss-making power utility, ESCOM, is considering demanding pay increases of as much as 10% ahead of negotiations scheduled for April. The National Union of Mine Workers has about 16,000 members at ESCOM. The state-owned entity is struggling to meet electricity demand as a result of breakdowns from poorly maintained coal-fired plants, and it's also looking for a solution to address a debt pile of 464 billion rand. Bloomberg reports that the utility bowed to pressure from labour groups in 2018 wage negotiations following strikes that crippled the grid. It agreed to a one-time cash payment and annual increases of at least 7%. South Africa's Deputy President David Mabuza who chairs the political task team on ESCOM, recently told lawmakers that ESCOM needs to significantly reduce its number of employees. He's quoted as saying that the amount of workers at ESCOM has doubled in size since 2008, but the amount of energy that we are producing is getting less. South Africa's central bank held its benchmark interest rate for a fourth straight meeting, with its projection model showing it could hike after the Monetary Policy Committee's next deliberation in May. The MPC kept the repurchase rate at 3.5%. This key rate remains at the lowest level since it was introduced in 1998. Inflation is now expected to average 4.3% this year, compared with the MPC's January estimate of 4%. The chairman of South Africa's Ministerial Advisory Committee on COVID-19, Professor Salim Abdul Karim, has stepped down. This comes amid speculation that President Cyril Ramaphosa is likely to tighten restrictions aimed at curbing the spread of COVID-19 over the Easter holidays. Acting Minister in the Presidency, Kumbuzo Nchaveni, is reported as saying that the government is taking the necessary steps to ensure that measures are in place when many South Africans will be marking the religious long weekend. There are concerns of a third wave as the number of COVID-19 deaths reported by the government rises towards 53,000. The rollout of vaccines has been slow, with only 207,000 people mainly frontline health workers, inoculated so far. 
South Africa's most successful female financial services entrepreneur, Signia founder and co-CEO Magda Virziksha is handing over the reins to joint CEO David Hufton in June. Virziksha has built the company into a successful diversified financial services group with more than 250 billion rand in assets under management. The Signia founder has been a vocal opponent of state capture. Jobless claims reached their lowest level of the pandemic last week as the U.S. economy's revival picks up speed. That's according to business partner The Wall Street Journal, which reports that worker filings for unemployment benefits, which is a proxy for layoffs, fell to 684,000 last week from 781,000 a week earlier. Claims are now at the lowest point since mid-March of last year and below the pre-pandemic high. Widespread vaccinations easing business restrictions, and government stimulus are helping spur economic growth. The Wall Street Journal says that Americans are spending more on in-person services such as restaurants, gyms, hotels, and salons that were battered by the coronavirus pandemic. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For more on those stories, You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. And what Jackie wanted to tell you was for more on those stories, go to biznews.com or you can go to our um, podcasts, which are on the Business Radio channel on Spotify and iTunes. Before we talk with Magda, Justin, you've got the markets for today. The JSE All Share Index was lower at 64,200. NASPA spin off multi choice increased 4 Rand to 129 Rand a share. Clothing retail, retailer the Fashini Group lost four Rand fifty to one hundred and eleven Rand a share. Sassel decreased five Rand to two hundred and seven Rand on the back of weaker oil prices, and Naspers lost twenty seven Rand to three thousand four hundred and forty Rand a share. In the currency markets, the Rand weakened against all the major currencies to fourteen Rand ninety eight cents to the dollar, twenty Rand fifty eight cents to the sterling, and seventeen Rand seventy cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,740 an ounce. Brent crude is low at $62.60 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency is trading at 780,000 rand a Bitcoin. Thanks, Justin. Magda is with us. Uh, you said a little earlier to me, Magda, it's been much ado about nothing, lots of fuss. Well, I'm not so sure because when you have someone who's founded a company uh, and built it into a 250 billion rand assets under administration business, and decides to step away from it, uh, you've got to expect us to, to wonder. <laughs> yeah, look. Uh, well, the, the, you know, keywords are step away. I, and it's important to differentiate between, you know, what I'm going to remain involved in and what I'm stepping away from. So, you know, I am an entrepreneur. My entire career has involved, you know, building up asset management companies. And when I go back to, you know, when I was 25 and I started at Coronation, I was employee number 14, you know, in, and if, and then, you know, I started a fund of hedge funds company, then I was CEO of African Harvest, then I started Signia. So if I look at my career, you know, it's been 25 years of exactly the same job description, being a CEO of an asset management company. <laughs> and that really is a lifetime. So, you know, it's important to in life to recognize what you are passionate about and what you don't enjoy doing. And I'm absolutely passionate about strategy, about innovation, about bringing new ideas to South Africa, to the market, be it directly or via Signia. And so I will remain completely involved in the development of the strategic direction of the company, in product innovation, in I, I hope to, to remain the brand ambassador for Signia. But what I have let go of is operational management uh, of the business. And that is the stuff that, you know, I'm not good at and I don't enjoy. And it's important, you know, about five years ago, I read a very interesting article in the Harvard Business Review, which talked to what is the greatest impediment to growth of companies founded by kind of families. Um, and, you know, I founded Signia with my husband, Simon. Um, and the one factor that was identified was the fact that, you know, the, the same founders didn't know when to let go and went to introduce professional executive management into the business. Brand, and brand, brand ambassador. I think that's really the key to all of this. Are you then going to be the spokesperson for Signia? Because you are very much the face of this business to many people in South Africa. You know, Alec, I am hoping to be 
associated and continue as a founder and majority shareholder in Signia. Of course, I'm a brand ambassador for Signia. I do hope that Signia can stand on its own. Um, and the fact that the share price has not dropped today despite the announcement. It went up. It went up. <laughs> it actually went up. <laughs> Which is great. You know, which, which tells me that Signia stands apart from me, which is very important. Um, I hope that I've got sufficient platform in my own right to continue to represent, you know, the ideas that I stand for. And obviously, I will promote Signia wherever I go because, you know, I am a majority shareholder. I have absolutely no intention of selling any of my shares because I actually think Signia's journey has only just begun. I had a call from a competitor who said to me, but this is so sudden, uh, we should be celebrating as competitors. But I was going through your, your history. It hasn't been that sudden. Uh, no. David Holt, uh, Houghton has been groomed for mm-hmm. this for a, a, a little while already. Very long time, Alex. So I've known David uh, since Alexander Forbes days. So we are talking 25 years as well. I spent about a year at Alexander Forbes in my very, very early youth. Um, and, you know, I, about 10 years ago, identified David as the person that I would like to succeed me at Signia. It took me about five years to persuade him to join Signia, move away from Alexander Forbes and join the company. And, you know, I promoted him to being deputy CEO in 2018 and then to co-CEO in um, April 2020. So this, you know, this has been part of a very long-term strategic plan and succession plan on my part because, you know, I have long ago recognized that, you know, my greatest skill set is in innovation, in coming up with, an, you know, an idea a minute. It is not in hands-on day-to-day management of a large company. And Signia today is a large company and it deserves that kind of, you know, rigorous management as opposed to someone like me who is much more of a dreamer and a visionary and some of those visions, you know, should not be implemented. (laughs) Magda, uh, Alexander Forbes, Coronation, those are both active managers. I know you're a passive uh, fan. Where did it all change? Um, So we are both a passive manager as well as, you know, we we have always uh, applied, you know, kind of – couple of pillars to our thinking and to our strategy. It's not only tracking indices um, at the low cost, but it's also using tactical, you know, active tactical asset allocation decisions to generate outperformance in multi-asset class portfolios, such as senior skeleton funds. And, uh, you know, obviously those funds have performed incredibly well in relative to, to peers such as Coronation and Ellen Gray. Uh, but we also, in the last five years, have moved into, you know, what what I call thematic investing, which is, you know, a good representation of that was our first pioneer fund, the Signia Fourth Industrial Revolution Global Equity Fund, which invests in all of these disruptive innovators and technology companies out there um, and different disruptive trends, which are effective shaping the future. So anything from, you know, renewable energy, electrical vehicles, genomics, and so on. Um, and so, you know, the, the, we are very passionate and have, you know, and I've become even more passionate as I have traveled more and I've been exposed to more. I've become even more convinced that, you know, the future of investing actually lies in that thematic type investing um, and that you've got to have that vision um, to look forward um, and invest in technologies which are taking over the world. Um, and, um, you know, that is what I initially brought to Signia five years ago, and that is how Signia intends to kind of shape its investment future, if, if that makes sense. I think Justin was wanting you to say something like, yes, I want to be the Kathy Wood of South Africa. But I know <laughs> David Passive Shapiro. Kathy Wood. Passive, passive Kathy Wood. Kathy. David Shapiro is grumpy, and he's got a grumpy question for you, haven't you, Dave? I'm very grumpy because I think our industry is made up of personalities, and Magda is a personality, and I think we're going to lose a personality. We're going to lose the face. No, don't say that, Magda. No, you're not going to lose me. (laughs) I'm just sorry for my person because I love your edginess. I love the way that you talk, the way that you write, and I think that uh, you've got to continue that. I so, will. Uh, I'm absolutely passionate about this. Yeah. Yeah. David, 
Well, thank you. You know, I'm going to sell my four I'm going to sell everything unless you come back. No, 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 please don't sell anything. I am not going anywhere. I mean, what, what people are missing is really that, you know, as a founder, as a majority shareholder of Signia, Signia is my baby and it will remain my baby forever. And I will be involved in the strategic direction of that company forever. And so I'm really not going anywhere. I also don't intend to sit quietly on the sidelines. So you will not lose my voice. Um, I'm just building in a bit more flexibility into my time so that, you know, I don't have to sit in the office. I know it's a strange concept in the age of the pandemic, but um, so I can travel the world. I can innovate more. I can bring those ideas back to South Africa. I've gotten involved in the past couple of years in venture capital investing. Um, I think, you know, that is something we sorely lack in South Africa. We don't, we don't lack for entrepreneurs. We don't lack for ideas, but I think we lack capital and we lack the skills. So I'm hoping to, to, you know, potentially bring venture capital investing to South Africa. So I've got big plans and, you know, I'm not going to be quiet. I promise you. Is this a little bit like what Chris Becker did when he took a year's sabbatical, but you're going to be permanently on sabbatical? Um, you know what? I'm not permanently on sabbatical um, in the sense that, you know, look, I haven't taken a day's leave in 25 years. Uh, so, you know, I doubt I'll start now. But, um, you know, what I do want is, you know, when you run a large company, uh, you do get kind of tied and bogged down into the daily operational grind of the company. And I need to, you know, I, I'm not that person. Um, and I think it's important as a founder of any business to recognize when the company has outgrown you. And I think Signia has outgrown my skill set or the requirements of Signia have outgrown my skill set. It's not that I couldn't do it, but I don't want to do things that, you know, I kind of resent. On the other hand, you know, in the last two years, I set up a venture capital business with a partner in London called Bravos. And through that, as I said, I've been exposed to venture capital investing. I think it's, you know, incredible what can be achieved with by people with a passion, with a vision. Um, and I would like to see more of it in South Africa because we don't have venture capital in South Africa. Um, so, so those are some of the things I want to, to get involved in. Um, I want to get involved in potentially looking for opportunities for Signia internationally, um, but in a free space, you know, in, in a kind of without having the expectation that I will deliver tomorrow or at the next board meeting. Um, so I've just bought myself freedom. Yeah, it sounds like one of the wildlings in Game of Thrones, but uh, it, 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 <laughs> interesting, <laughs> interesting that today I heard from Adrian Saville of Canon. And he must, he probably started Canon Asset Managers about the same time that you started Signia. He's also leaving the scene. He's stepping down and, uh, and going off. So it, it might be catching. David, when you speak, will you just take that microphone like Freddie Mercury and, and pull it to your, there we go. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure you got another question for Magda before we let her go. Uh, not a, I just wish her, I, I understand exactly what's happening. I understand the compliance. I understand uh, the, you know, the burden of actually running businesses. So I just wish I was in her position and I could also just run free and do what I want and not have to talk to clients or to handle that kind of side. But um, you know, you, I, I think Magda knows what I'm talking about. So, and, and I think that it's, I, I just hope that we don't lose her. That's all. And no. Magnus, I say that as a compliment to what you've achieved, really. It's, uh, you've been, you know, you're an exceptionally bright person and have done so much for the industry. Well done. And we will miss you. We will miss your face. Thank you, David. But I promise you I'm not disappearing anywhere. I am staying. You will continue hearing from me. You will continue hopefully hearing more interesting things from me because of the exposure that, you know, I'll have the flexibility of getting, you know, I intend to spend a couple of months, something I've never done before, you know, spend a couple of months living in, I mean, living is a strong word, staying in New York because I would like to get more exposure. You know, I've spent a bit of time in London last year um, and London is interesting, but it's not bleeding edge. New York is bleeding edge. So I want to spend sometime there, getting involved in the business community, picking up ideas, bringing them back to South Africa. So trust me, you will continue seeing my face and hearing my voice. 
We have Nick Hudson in the program a little later, Magda. So before you depart us, AstraZeneca, it seems to have become a really hot topic when we look at vaccines. For some reason, AstraZeneca seems to only work in the UK, but everywhere else in the world, there's a lot of negativity towards it, including South Africa, which, which goes and dumps yeah. the vaccines that we had at huge cost. What's going on there? I know you're an investor um, in AstraZeneca. Uh, look, in yes. Vaccine, yeah. so, so look, you know, AstraZeneca is a highly effective vaccine. Um, and, you know, AstraZeneca has unfortunately gotten, you know, caught up in the political uh, blame game. And the political bl- blame game is largely happening in Europe. So, you know, countries such as UK, US um, had the foresight for whatever, and then, you know, to pre-fund development of these COVID-19 vaccines, such as AstraZeneca, and then pre-order hundreds of millions of doses for their population. European Union, not dissimilar to South Africa, has done nothing and has nothing. So as a consequence of the fact that, you know, politically they're coming under, you know, a lot more pressure than in South Africa. In South Africa, we have a young population, as you know, you know, our statistics have not been as bad as they have been anywhere else. But in Europe, they have an old population and the numbers are looking a lot more scary. There's a lot more political pressure. And hence, you know, the the fight that has started first, it involved somehow discrediting the AstraZeneca vaccine. And that is by people who didn't have any access to AstraZeneca vaccine for that to within days reverse into threats of stopping exports of any AstraZeneca vaccines that are being manufactured uh, in Europe back to the UK and to other countries because Europe has no vaccines. So you need to take away all this kind of noise and look at the substance of the vaccine. And, you know, AstraZeneca is a highly effective vaccine against the COVID-19 strain. Um, There's no clinical trials of any substance have been done to determine the extent to which it protects against what's you know now called the South African strain of the virus. There was one small clinical trial that was run out of WITS, and that was you know standard clinical trial of to be of statistical significance requires about fifty thousand people, with twenty five thousand people being you know vaccinated and twenty five thousand people being given a placebo. Um, There was a teeny tiny trial that was run on AstraZeneca uh, involving 2,000 people, healthy adults, 30 years old, uh, for a very different reason, not to test the effectiveness of AstraZeneca against the South African strain. Somehow that, that trial got interpreted as a definitive proof that AstraZeneca vaccine does not work against the South African strain. The Professor Mahdi, who ran that trial, in fact, came out subsequently and said he's mortified, to quote, that, you know, his study has been misrepresented in, in such a manner. So, you know, undoubtedly, the South African strain of the virus is different and hence the efficacy or efficiency of these vaccines, all the vaccines, not only AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, is lower and less effective at the moment at such time as, you know, the formulas have been adjusted to capture, uh, you know, broader variations of, of the, the virus. But, you know, I completely disagree with the fact that, you know, two things happened. We were on the cusp of securing a supply of 100 million doses of AstraZeneca vaccine for South Africa. We withdrew from those negotiations. And, uh, you know, we, we gave up the one and a half million doses that we actually had. I think it was extremely foolish um, to do both. I wow. would have secured the AstraZeneca vaccines um, and, you know, we would have had, you know, at least that in our arsenal. Magda Wizikcha, who is the uh, outgoing chief executive of Signia, the company that she founded. We've heard from her that Signia uh, is going to be uh, continuing uh, with her full shareholding. David, that's always a good sign when the founder leaves but isn't sen- selling a share and is going to remain involved and is going to go and do a course, Becca. I know she didn't want to talk about it directly, but it's a similar thing, isn't it? Course traveled the world for a year, learned so much, came back, applied it into NASPAS as the chairman, and, well, it seems to have made a good impact as a result. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think the fact that she's not selling and remaining on the board, I think, is a very positive sign. So um, we hope to see a lot. And uh, 
I go to New York often, so I hope to see Magda in New York. I'm sure that she she <laughs> would be very happy for your company, as we all always are. David, uh, just that other point on AstraZeneca. It's really a mess now, isn't it? This whole political I, I, thing. I, and I, 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 you know, with respect to AstraZeneca, I just think the way that they have uh, handled the issue hasn't helped them as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with Magda in the sense that um, it is an effective vaccine and it could have been used. But I think the publicity around it has really been uh, very negative and is taking it down. And it's even going to act. You know, it's going to take some time before they can actually reverse that. But I think a lot has to do with the company itself. It's also the cheapest vaccine by a quantum so then you start looking as a conspiracy theorist and say, hang on, Big Pharma is going to make a gazillion uh, bucks out of this. AstraZeneca is the cheapest. We do know there's fake news. We do know that there's all kinds of uh, lobbyists who are around who plant stories and so on. It seems to be making lots of progress now in the United States. The latest uh, news that came out of there was that they're going to be using AstraZeneca. But here we are in South Africa. We don't have vaccines. As Jackie said in the flash briefing, 207,000 have been vaccinated in our country we're desperate for them and we got rid of one and a half million astrazeneca's and we had a hundred million that were there oh we love shooting ourselves in the foot don't we anyway let's not shoot ourselves in the foot any longer let's listen to uh, something from the business investment conference that's going to be very interesting to you david but particularly to Charles and justin who are going to be giving us some insight this is from the uh, the presentation that pit Fulion made um, sorry, we, we, we seem to have lost that clip, so we'll have to do that a little bit later. Uh, but let's maybe move on to a conversation starter on this point. And that was, Pitt told us that there are a number of shares that are trading at below their liquidation value. And he said there were eight that he could identify on the JSC. Two of those were... Um, going to be discussed right now. And we'll start off with Justin, who actually has looked at one of them, which is Lewis Stores. Justin? Alec, after looking at Lewis yesterday, I, I really am excited um, at this investment proposition. I don't want to bore you too long with the numbers, um, but they did come out with interims a few months ago. One must remember that two months out of their six months were taken away as a result of COVID closures, revenue flat, double-digit increase in earnings, double-digit increase in its interim uh, dividend. Um, and the underlying story is here, and we've seen it a lot with companies, they've pivoted out of this COVID phase. They're reducing their operating costs, which are increasing earnings despite revenues being flat. Um, another tailwind for the Lewis Group has been um, the home improvement trend. We've seen with Ital Tiles results. We've seen with Cashfield. We've seen with Builders Warehouse, part of MassMart's results, and Build It, um, part of the SPA group, um, that the home impro improvement trend as a result of work from home um, has, um, there's been spend divert from leisure and travel that have gone into people's number one assets, which is their home. And this has been a huge tailwind for the Lewis Group. They're operating on a six price to earnings ratios, which is extremely cheap. If I look at their peers in the US, or even Italtal, for instance, probably the closest peer on the JSE, 15, 20s, operating at a 6 PE. This company's been around for 80 years, Alec. It's as cheap as chips. <laughs> we do actually have uh, Pit Fulion's um, uh, clip here. I'll, I'll just get onto it in a minute. Apologies, but that's what live broadcasting is about. Let's, let's listen in. It's about just, just over a minute and a half. Today on the JSE, I can find at least eight stocks that are trading below that value, where the market value is below liquidation value. An example of one of those stocks is a company called Lewis Stores. It's good business. It's doing very well at the moment. But the market has completely ignored it. It's trading at less than liquidation value today. So that's one type of company. This is a net nets. The second type of company one could look at is investment holding companies where the market has just given up on them, where they're trading at big discounts to net asset value. Rembrandt is an example of a company that used to trade at around net asset value. Today is trading at a 20% discount, but I don't think that's good enough. That's not a hidden gem. That's a slightly undervalued situation. A hidden gem 
is an investment company whose net asset value per share has outperformed the all share index over the past 20 years and that you can today buy at 40% of net asset value. A company like that would be Savvest. Most of you probably haven't even heard of Savvest. But under Christopher Seabrook, it has compounded its net asset value per share in excess of the rate of growth of the all share index over the past, since it was listed over the past 20 years. And today, because of negativity about South Africa, negativity about investment holding companies, negativity about everything, it is trading at a 60% discount to NAV. That is a hidden gem. So Peter Lynn was talking about hidden gems there. I know Justin, you, Charles, and David didn't hear that. I do apologize, but at least our audience did hear it. Okay. Charles, you've done a lot of work on SABVEST uh, in, the, in the light of what Pete had to say. And, of course, their results were out today. So uh, just what does this company do? Yeah, so SABVEST is an investment holding company which essentially means, as the name suggests, they hold a few investments in a portfolio. Uh, some are listed, some are unlisted. Um, they've got nine unlisted investments and I think six listed ones. The listed ones uh, are things like Metrofile, uh, the document uh, security people, um, Transaction Capital, SA Taxi, those guys. And then also They've got Rolfs, uh, but Rolfs is not recently listed, uh, delisted. So, and then they've got a the unlisted portion of the portfolio is about eighty percent of the value of their total holdings. So that is very important to them. And within that unlisted space, they've got three massive investments, three key investments. Uh, one investment is uh, labeling, clothing labeling, lingerie uh, fittings, and so on. Um, and then, yes, uh, a, a company called DTI, which does uh, telecom, provides telecom services to the telecoms providers or telecom technology services to them. Sounds so, good to me, Charles, everything that you've said. But your intrinsic value of this business or net asset value of this business, Pitt said yes. it trades at a discount of 60% or it did because I see it went up 15% today. Yes, yeah, so the how an investment company or investment holding company works, they, they give you a figure which they call the net asset value of the portfolio. Uh, they also sometimes say, okay, this is the fair value of the portfolio. Now, one must understand the listed parts of that portfolio. It's quite easy to check what the value is. So, for instance, in uh, Savvy's case, about 20% of the portfolio is listed. So, if you take Metrofile, Transaction Capital, and they've got a UK business, and you take that share price and you add everything up, you get a certain value. But the key key uh, disagreement or where you could disagree is that how, how you get to the unlisted value is not always clear because the company has a lot of uh, leeway to make assumptions and use uh, things that, are, that you cannot observe on the stock market. So they use historical transactions, and things like that. So bottom line is in the 74 rand that the shares net asset value is, or the company claims it is, uh, 80% of that I think is not as certain concerning the value as what you can just say it's worth 74. It could be worth a lot less than that. Okay, fully understood that. Justin, have you, have you been looking at the share price of uh, Sabvest, given that it had a big jump today? I have, Alec, um, given that they released their results today, I had a look. The one thing that does concern me there is that 85% of their assets are unlisted. And as Charles says, they're extremely hard to value. That It's also a marketability and liquidity discounts. So I did have a look. Um, I wasn't wild by Sabvest, but I was wild by the Lewis Group. <laughs> That's why you spoke to, to us about the Lewis Group. Right, David Shapiro, when I spoke to Bob Skinstad last night, he said if he had a ship, the captain of his ship would be Christopher Seabrook, who is the man behind Sabvest. Is he a good captain? I, I've known Christopher since 1987. That's when they listed, or 1988 it came under, it was under SA Bias. And it's been ignored for as ever long, however long it has been listed. At the time it came on, it was quite a hot stock. You know, in 1987, remember, we had a 97, 88, sorry, 87, 88. That's when Bitvest came on. Um, Investec came on. At Dimension data? Quite, 
all of those, and yet this is Christopher never reached the kind of potential that we thought he would. He is a very bright man, I think a chartered accountant and so on, and we've never seen the value that we expected to get out of it. But I do want to add one point on this, and it's quite important. Remgro came out with their numbers today, 40% discount. African Rainbow Capital, 40-50% discount. Uh, PSG, we saw a similar thing. And there seems to be a reluctance to go into to buy those discounts. And I can't tap into it. I don't understand why, you know, because it seems to be a sitting duck. But the market's just negative on holding companies for whatever reason. They prefer a process. Sorry, I forgot the biggest one. NASPES process, 10 cent. Massive discount as well. So, Alec, there's something in the market that's disturbing investors, you know, that not attracting them into uh, these kind of investments and that. So I think you've got to buy it for what it stands for. So I, I, I draw that to your attention because we're having the discussion all the time on the companies that I just mentioned. You know, we should be buying them and yet those discounts never close. But if you can buy something for mm. 60 cents in the rand, uh, then you're in a good place in the long term. Now, you've got the ventilator fund. Why did you put it together? Why did you call it the ventilator fund? And how's it been doing? <laughs> well, it's a hypothetical fund. I started, I started in March last year. In fact, in April last year, I just saw 15, I chose 15 companies that I knew well that went back years that had bricks and mortar. You know, they, they, they were actual real operating businesses. At one stage in their life, they dominated the industrial side of the market in, in South Africa. And I said, these were just too cheap to ignore. And I called it that the takeover fund. And I, I've just got to read them out because it was Huleman, Tongard, Arsenal, Middle City Lodge, Nampak, those kind of companies. And I said, this is, you've got to be a fool not to buy these. They were just too cheap simply and I think either Charles or Justin said, you know, in, in terms of the underlying net asset value. And that fund, I closed out at, a, at about 68% from the 1st of April to the end of December. But I read. Can you do that for us? Can, can I give you some you money what, to do that for me? There. You know what, it's, <laughs> Alec, it's there. And that's why we try and promote this. You know, I'm a great believer I know that Magda is a passive investor and I've always loved to own companies because I've loved to go into the business. By understanding businesses, Justin went into Lewis, you get a much better feel for the economy, for the underlying economy. So I rejigged it and I, I, I started on the 1st of uh, January with what's a ventilator fund with very much the same businesses, Marion Roberts, Grinrod. Hudeco, PPC, Impact, Invicta. You know these numbers. And believe me, inside there is Lewis. So Lewis is in there as well. I'm up 34% on Lewis uh, from that date. But so far, the, the fund is up 24% since the 1st of January. And the all-share index is up 8%. What I'm saying to people out there, you know, yes, the big funds can't, you know, don't want to get involved in these uh, the institutions and that because they run their own products and they need they need to get uh, liquidity on that. For but for private clients or for especially younger investor, there are so many opportunities on this market where you can make this kind of money. And I advertised it. This is no, you don't have to be a genius to select these companies. So I'm saying this company, you know, we're up 24%. I, I advertise it all the time on, on Twitter. I tell, you know, and, and, and so on. It's not, uh, there's nothing clever about it, but uh, it's, it gives you an idea of what you can make. So today you've got two more companies. You've got Lewis and you've got uh, Savvist. Can we add uh, them into the ventilator fund, David, or was <laughs> it the last gasp? <laughs> no, no. No, not at all. I think, I think if we dig, we can actually find another 10 to 15-odd companies like that at the bottom end of, uh, of, of the JSC. But so you, yes, it's not for Magnus, India, you know, and I don't mean it in disrespect, but I think it's, 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 if you're a young investor and you're starting out with a few, you know, with a few bob, uh, there's plenty of opportunity to make money. And with fractional investing on easy equities, you could put 100 bucks, 100 rand in each of them. Just last night, we heard Christo Visa talking a little about Invicta. I see he's, he's one of David's uh, respirators, or ventilators rather. 
Alec, I'll be completely honest. I don't know too much about Invicta, but what I have heard from analysts alike is that it is undervalued. This is, let's not forget, a company that used to trade at 80 rand a share. As Christo said, it's gone back to 4 rand a share. There's obviously some underlying there. No doubt there's been issues. Um, and I, let's also remember that a fallen angel doesn't always rise. Two things there, Justin. You've got both Udeka and Invicta are engineering businesses. I call them engineering because they service the mining in mining area and they service the um, uh, manufacturing. And mining is doing well. Also in Victor, I've got Stephen Joffe, you know, who, who they took out, you know, who's, who's now running it and refocusing the business. Where is he from, Dave? You remember he was with Togo. I thought he was running Gold Reef City last uh, I met him. Gold, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. You know, very smart man, very good operator. And, 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 and Christo is very good in, in, in choosing CEOs. Picking people. Mm. Mm. So, you know, watch that. It's going to take time to restructure. But uh, with mining doing what it is doing, you're going to see both Udeka and Invicta, uh, you know, I'm sure, turn around. Just to go back to Christo Visit, I remember having a long conversation with one of his CEOs. I'm not, no names, no pactoral. But he said that the brilliance of Visa was that he spent a lot of time with his operational managers. This guy was a CEO of one of the companies, and he shared his experiences with them. So he was the exactly what Magda's wanting to do, I think, now with Signia, where she goes and learns more and then comes back and helps David um, uh, Houghton to implement new ideas that she might be picking up in New York or London or wherever else she is. And it was a similar story with uh, and I mentioned it before, but with Chris Becker at NASPAS, where when he went on his one-year sabbatical, I remember talking to him in the middle of it, and he said he really just went out to go and sit in conferences, listen to people, listen to what is going on in the world, and absorb all of this so that he could go back to Bob van Dijk, who is now running the company, and suggest to him and Basil Skordos, you know, this, these are the areas you need to be looking at, not forcing anything, but having had the knowledge, being able to pass it on. And that seems to be the, the genius of, of Christo Visa. I mean, we heard last night that uh, Breit went down 98.5%, but he, he uh, rationalized it on the fact that there was Brexit, which killed New Look uh, in the UK, and the lockdown that, that uh, has done, well, it really hurt Virgin Active. So he's unrepentant, and he still thinks that Breit is going to do well. He reckons Marcus used to court everybody. He was just the, the biggest fish to be caught by them. But it, it, it's interesting when you've got these really well-experienced, smart people who prepare to share. Sure. And, and that's the whole essence of, of these businesses. Look, Magna's not the first person to walk away. I mean, uh, Bill Gates did it. Look what he's doing today. Um, I think throughout, um, you know, throughout industry, throughout businesses, you're going to find uh, the two founders of Google walked away, um, you know, to, to, to use their innovation. You know, Alec, there's nothing, there's, I, I think there's nothing worse than taking on a directorship. Don't do it. You know, <laughs> you lose your independence. There's, it's the worst thing on earth, running a company, having to sit through audit committees, you know, to remuneration committees, to deal with all the <laughs> compliance issues. So I can understand free thinkers like Magda and that just want to be let free to look for the ideas which they can bring back and, and implement. So I fully understand what's behind her motivation. And I think Chris, you know, Chris has done incredibly well. Pepco is a wonderful success story uh, and to an extent ShopRite. And, uh, and he's, still, he's still at it. You know, he's still at it, even though he was called. Look, we loved Marcus. We all loved to listen to him back in those Remember, days. you and I went to visit him, and he ah, told us the whole story about how Steinhoff had this, uh, this, this ver- <laughs> vertical integration, and they, they bought it cheap, and they grew the, uh, the, the, the pine, and then they, they turned it into furniture, which they sold around the world. And we were, we were completely enthralled. Yeah, it's a good story. The 90s when he, yeah, Kebble was like that as well. If you ever had a lunch with Brett Kebble, he could entertain you. He was a raconteur. He was wonderfully entertaining in there. And, and, and I suppose that's the strength of a con artist. You know, they're able to do that. Just beware. <laughs> Cheapest. But if, if, as Christo said last night, the con artist in this case took everybody, including ratings agencies, including, as he explained to us, one of the best investigative companies 
in Germany, which, as he said, has got like 150 partners who were giving them reports to say Steinhoff is clean right up until the 5th of December 2017. What chance have you got? David, you must have met some, apart from Kebel and, and, and Joester, some real con artists. Have they got anything in common? They're very charming, incredibly charming. And that's the strength. That's their weapon. Uh, uh, very personable you know, people and able to enchant you. And uh, I, what you've got to do, and I'm directing at this at Charles and Justin, if you don't understand the accounts, just walk away. <laughs> In other words, if the story doesn't make sense, just walk away because there's plenty of other places to go to. Gary Porritt. Yeah, remember Gary? Yeah. And same. remember your famous saying, oh. how he, he magicked up the cash flow that didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Tygon, wow. But Porritt's in jail still, isn't he? I think he is still. He went to jail anyway. Did he eventually go? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he, he, uh, former head boy of Maritzburg College to the eternal shame of that great school. Um, he, in fact, he was the year after or before Paul Harris. Can you believe that? Amazing. I'm going to say to Charles and Justin, if anybody takes your hand and holds it and says, trust me, don't. Okay. <laughs> Dave, Dave, I'm going to... I'm going to put that in the back pocket, and the reason is uh, you can buy Coke and chips, but you can't buy experience, Mr. Shapira. <laughs> David, the only problem is you are quite charming, so I'm, I'm starting to worry. Uh, you know, it's, uh... <laughs> yeah, Mr. Shapiro, Mr. Charmer. And, and, and there are, anyway, we're not going to go to that one. We are, however, going to another charming person, or maybe a free spirit rather than a charming person, because he's got his share of detractors as well. The co-founder of Panda, Nick Hudson. I had a fascinating discussion with him today. The podcast is up. It's on Biz News Radio. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, go to Spotify or to iTunes and put in Biz News Radio and you'll see up comes uh, the Nick Hudson discussion. But we've got this clip which came right at the end where I asked him about two things. Today, South Africa's version of Anthony Fauci uh, the guy called uh, Salim Abdul Karim resigned. I asked him what he thought about that. And the second thing I asked him about was exactly what we discussed earlier uh, on AstraZeneca vaccine. Let's hear what Nick had to say. And so to summarize, the resignation of Salim Karim is not something that is disappointing you. It's welcome to us. We've always felt that he was, he prevaricated around whether lockdowns should be implemented or not, you know, initially saying that he thought they'd done their work and then again in October changing his mind and starting to suggest that they, we would need them again. And more recently he said he's made noise about uh, a lockdown over the Easter weekend. And for any academic, any, any scientist at this point to be talking about restrictions is absolutely absurd because now the evidence against the effectiveness of these non-pharmaceutical interventions is so incredibly strong that you know it just makes no sense and you've got to wonder what what was motivating him to do that um so you know I, from panda's perspective we absolutely welcome it we don't we've never um seen eye to eye with him and his opinions and the astrazeneca vaccine we, we don't have a, a strong view on whether it is or isn't um, um, effective at this point. Uh, and, and we probably will not take the steps of trying to, trying to form one. You know, our, our point is that systems need to be in place to monitor um, effectiveness as the vaccines are rolled out. And we're very worried about that because, you know, from the starting point, the doctors who've been receiving the J&J vaccine don't appear to have been and given proper informed consent processes. Um, and I keep hearing about doctors who have adverse reactions that they may have no intention of reporting. So, you know, we just got to be, we just got to be careful. And uh, under these circumstances, I think it's very important to make sure that the systems are in place to follow up on safety and efficacy. We all want a safe and effective vaccine, um, but we mustn't allow the rush or any particular companies or entities' profit motives to get in the way of doing this whole thing properly. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. The second part is the part that intrigues me more. 
the profitability of pharmaceutical companies and particularly on these vaccines. And I spoke earlier in the week with Professor Alan Whiteside who said that the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine comes in at a fraction of the cost of those of Moderna, uh, Pfizer, uh, Johnson Johnson, etc. So there does seem to be at least some smoke here, David. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's quite fascinating that, uh, that, that we should have that situation. And I can't get my head around it, Alec, because this was a global pandemic that we thought that the world would get together and, and uh, allow vaccines to be circulated to the poor nations, to the rich nations, to everyone. And suddenly we've seen this protection, you know, from Europe to the U.S., not wanting to do the population first without worrying about everybody else. And we know that unless we vaccinate the whole world, this pandemic, you know, can come back. And, and so when you talk about the profit motive, um, I've been under the impression that this was going to be a non-starter, that no one was going to make money out of this simply because it was a humanitarian issue. And, you know, I'm surprised that, that these, uh, that the subject is coming. And even the, even the, um, you know, the fact that, that uh, they're not sharing recipes, they're not sharing the formulas and that holding on to, uh, you know, ho- holding on to those things, the, the patents. I can't believe that this is happening. Mm. And, and that's what I find. I mean, and I'm a capitalist through and through. Hey? So, so just understand where I stand. But in this case, you know, you thought that this would be a, this, this would be a easy issue to sort out. And the stakes are so high. If you can open economies then everybody is going to benefit. And the cost of the vaccine, relatively speaking, is, is, is extremely low. The, on the second point about the departure of Salim Karim, the popular press seems to be saying it's because uh, we do have uh, a president who's going to impose heavy lockdowns uh, in the weekend coming. Speaking to Nick Hudson, he said that wasn't, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be against what Karim was calling for. I, I don't. Um, I, I'm not uh, up to date with that as well. I don't know where I stand on it. Um, I, I'm, I'm really. Lost so we'll we'll just we'll what just pass on that and, and and watch it come through. We've got a conversation starter for you from Amazon.com. Now, Justin, you found this clip uh, on TikTok. Where? Just just tell us a bit about it before we listen. So, Alec, I've been struggling to get my head around growth companies. Um, I've just sort of, I'm still in my studying phase. All I know is buy at less, basically buy value. Um, I came across this video on Twitter regarding Amazon in 1999. The company had never made a profit. Um, Its shares were booming. It was in the midst of the dot-com bubble um, before everything went bust. And the, the thing that really stood out was that analysts were saying that Amazon would have to sell every single book in the world for it to justify its market value. Same things we're hearing about Tesla and a few other growth stocks currently. Um, and I just thought it was a great piece. And Wall Street isn't concerned that Amazon has never made a profit, not a dime. In fact, it lost $125 million last year. The company says it's investing for the future. Skeptics say it would have to sell every book being sold in the world today to justify its stock price. I think my generation grew up with Sears, and Amazon is worth 20% more than Sears is worth in market capitalization. How do you view that phenomenon that Amazon today is worth more than Sears? Investors are focused on the future. Amazon has growth potential that Sears doesn't. A couple of geeks who sketched out some software could destroy Sears Roebuck. That's the beauty of technology and the microprocessor. We've never Never seen anything like it. David, you know these stories. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? We used to have that with Richmond. Richmond was always too expensive. Never buy Richmond, it's too expensive. And all that happened is Richmond went higher and higher and higher. And I think it's the same thing. If we would apply the value techniques or valuations, and uh, you would never have bought Amazon, you wouldn't have bought Alphabet, you certainly wouldn't have bought Tesla. So I'm saying be very careful. Um, You've got to understand the business, and you've got to now project 
where a business will be four, five, ten years down the line and whether those companies are going to make it. Yes, you'll make mistakes along the way. Some people will fall away. But never be influenced by... Um, you know, by, by those valuation metrics, you know, by this is, this P is much too high, you know, it's too, you know. so have a look at, at, at uh, you can add more to the Amazon story as well. I remember that. And what he did, he was brilliant. He stuck to his guns. He stuck to his strategy, reinvesting all the time, building, building the, um, his, you know, building his old base or the foundation of what is today Amazon. And he's still going. He's not stopping. David, I just wanted to, if you're not looking at uh, these valuation metrics, if you, mm. what should you look at then? What, how do you spot, what should we do? You know, did you hear Magda talk about thematic investing? That's, you yes. start looking at thematic, uh, at themes. What are the themes? You know, what, what are the themes? Where are, who's got the money and where are they spending it? And uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a new buzzword now. It's called the subscription economy, which is, uh, starts in the morning, you know, when you wake up and you use Peloton or you then use e-commerce and you go on to food ordering services and so on, uh, entertainment. And uh, the, the other, you know, 5G is going to become a big theme. Uh, fintech, green tech, meditech, all of those are themes. And what you've got to do is explore those themes and find the companies that fit into those themes that best suit, you know, uh, your, you know, what you want out of an investment. But um, I think that's the way to go and to, to look for the businesses and, and find the right kind of management. Of course, you need a solid balance sheet and a, a, a you know, well-founded company. But I think that's the way that, you know, that's what Magda's saying she's going to do. And I think that's the right kind of thing. And don't ignore China. You know, China's going to outstrip America. And, boy, they're spending lots of money developing their own technology. So there are plenty of themes that you as young people, you know, can just get into and find the companies that fit into that. And a big advantage for young people today is that they can buy fractional shares. David, when, when uh, I was making my way, uh, it was very, very difficult to invest because you had to buy at least 100 shares of something. So you were ending up buying ticky stocks and rubbish, whereas today you can buy 100 rands worth of NASPAS. And, and you might, it might be 0.001 uh, of a share, but it, you still got, uh, you're a co-shareholder in that company. It's been a great discussion. Let's find out uh, before we go how the markets have been doing. Justin, do you want to bring us up to date with the movements on the JSC today? The JSE All Share Index fell to 64,200. Multi Choice increased 4 Rand to 129 Rand a share. The Fashini Group lost 4 Rand 50 to 111 Rand. Sassol decreased 5 Rand to 207 Rand on the back of weaker oil prices. In the currency markets, the Rand weakened against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 98 to the dollar, 20 Rand 58 cents to the pound, and 17 Rand 70 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,740 an ounce. Brent crude is lower at $62.60 a barrel. And lastly, Bitcoin is trading at 780,000 rand. And for those who are looking for what's going to happen tomorrow on the American markets right now, the Dow actually started off weak. It lost uh, as much as 300 points. It's clawed all the way back to level pegging at the moment. So a weak start for American shares, but they back to square which, generally speaking, is, uh, tells us we don't have to worry too much about what happens tomorrow. Thanks for being with us on the Biz News Power Hour tonight. A full recording of this program will be uploaded. Uh, did you, how long? About an hour? 45 minutes? 15 minutes, Dudu says. So you can go on to uh, the Spotify and iTunes channels, and you'll be able to hear the whole hour if you've only just caught us uh, towards the end of this program. We'll be back again tomorrow with, what's it, Festive Friday, Justin? You and Festive Friday, Alec. You and Carrie drinking a little bit. Of, oh, you aren't in the studio, so you can't clink the glasses with her, but she'll be here. But I'll be going straight to the Camp Space Strip afterwards, Alec. Camp Space Strippers. <laughs> Justin, Justin. Strip. Just, strip. Oh, strip. Camp Space Strip.
Okay, got it. We never know about you know these young people who live in Cape Town, David. Uh, they 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 sometimes do go a little astray when they have the inhibitions freed from them after a few glasses of wine. But uh, Mr. Shapiro, good to see you. Uh, we look forward to being back with you on Monday. And uh, Shaul, as well, your contribution tonight. I think you've made quite a Thanks. few people better informed about SABFest. We look forward to uh, unpacking more of these value stocks in the time to come. We'll be back with a program, as said, tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour Brought to you by the team at Biz News.